Good morning, the Philippines, and welcome to Behind the Lights with me, Seb. And me, Jono. As always, we pay respect to the traditional custodians of the land where you're coming from, the Gadigal people of the Aurora Nation. Now on to another busy sporting weekend, Jono, and in the NRL, round 23, tossed up some significant results in regards to the top eight. The Storm defeated the Titans 34 points to 20. This was the Storm's 19th straight win, equaling the Great Eastern Suburbs team of 1975. So they've got a chance this weekend uh, to go past that record and set a new record with 20 straight wins. So a remarkable um, winning streak by the Melbourne Storm. The Seagulls scraped past Canberra 19 points to 18 without Tom Trevojevic, so a confidence-boosting win for the Seagulls. The Panthers defeated South Sydney 25 to 12. The Sharks smashed the West Tigers 50 to 20. The Knights down the Bulldogs 22 points to 16. The Eels defeated the Cowboys 32 to 16 to get back into the winner's circle. The Roosters down the Dragons 40 to 22, while the Broncos scraped past the Warriors 24 to 22. So the Roosters have moved back into the top four, while the Sharks now sit in eighth position. But between divisions eight and 10, all are sitting on 20 points. So, Jono, uh, two rounds to go. It's going to be a tight uh, tussle for that last position in the eight. Yeah, huge battle there for the bottom, um, as well as even battle for that fourth spot. I mean, your Manly really got um, got got a win, even though, like you said, they've some injury problems there. But um, that's a big win for them for that potential fourth spot there, because um, it still potentially could happen. But yeah, big um, big next couple rounds here for that bottom spot there, because it's all up for grabs. You know, it'll be it'll come down to these last couple games and who actually shows up and who doesn't. But it'll be really interesting to keep an eye on. Should be a great last couple of rounds. The AFL, and it was round 23 in the final regular round, um, delivered some drama as the top eight has been confirmed now. Port Adelaide down Western Bulldogs 66 to 64. Richmond and Hawthorne played out an entertaining 83 all draw. It was also Hawthorne's coach Alistair Clarkson's final game with the club, while the playing careers of Sean Burgoyne, David Asprey, and Batcher Hooley also were brought to a finish um, at the end of the game. Sydney smashed the Gold Coast 136 to 49. Brisbane defeated West Coast 125 to 87, meaning Brisbane ended up finishing fourth as they finished with a higher percentage ahead of the Western Bulldogs, who slid down to fifth. Melbourne defeated Geelong 81 to 77 in what has to be counted as one of the most remarkable comeback victories. They were 44 points down, yeah. um, and they came back and defeated Geelong with a kick after the sign. The Demons claimed their first minor premiership. Uh, since 1964, so they finished top of the table. GWS defeated Carlton 89-75 in what was Carlton's player, Eddie Betts' last AFL game, um, as well as he finished his great AFL career. St Kilda defeated Fremantle 107-49. Essendon defeated Collingwood 102-64, while Adelaide defeated North Melbourne 98-54. So week one of the finals is now set. Melbourne will take on Brisbane. Western Bulldogs will take on Essendon in an elimination final. Sydney will take on GWS in the other elimination final, or Port Adelaide will, will play Geelong. So uh, the finals is set, Jono, and um, it should be some great matches uh, coming up. Yeah, it'll, it'll definitely be some great ones of you. And again, that last week had everything there to watch, some, some great games, as you even said, that comeback as well to kind of claim the minor premiership as well is just remarkable in that sense. Um, but yeah, some cracking games coming up. I mean, that Sydney's GWS who doesn't want to see that? I mean, I think it can kind of go any way as well. And look at as well, I think of the Bulldogs kind of slipped out of that top four is kind of unfortunate considering the season that they've had. But again, 
essentially I would put them as the favorites there in that first game. So I'd put them there that they'll, they'll be going ahead, but it's not going to be easy. So um, a lot, lot up at stakes and it'll be really interesting to see this uh, first, uh, first round of finals going through. Yeah, it should be good. Some great AFL action coming up. Uh, to football news and the English Premier League round two over the weekend. Liverpool defeated Burnley 2-0. Aston Villa defeated Newcastle 2-0. Crystal Palace and Brentford played a 0-0 draw. Leeds United and Everton drew 2-2 an entertaining clash at Ellen Road. Manchester City destroyed Norwich City 5-0. Brighton had a good win to defeat Watford 2-0. Southampton and Manchester United drew 1-1. Tottenham had a narrow win over the Wolves or Wolverhampton 1-0, while Chelsea were too much class for Arsenal as defeated them 2-0. One game to go in the round, West Ham will play Leicester City. We'll go into a bit more detail with the English Premier League later on. In La Liga in Spain, Atletico Bilbao and Barcelona drew 1-1. Atletico Madrid defeated Elche 1-0, while Levante and Real Madrid played a 3-3 draw, a game that had a bit of everything. Yeah, definitely. Um, in the end... Levante had a player sent off and actually had to put one of their outfield players into goals as their goalkeeper was sent off and they'd run out of substitutes. So it was Love a it. game of uh, thrills in uh, the Spanish La Liga. In the Bundesliga in Germany, Freiburg defeated Borussia Dortmund 2-1. RB Leipzig had a good win over Stuttgart 4-0, while Bayern Munich defeated FC Köln 3-2. The Italian Serie A kicked off this weekend in defending champions Inter Milan after all their off-season drama with uh, selling players. Defeated Genoa 4-0, so a good confidence-boosting win for them. Udinese and Juventus drew 2-2. One of the biggest storylines coming out that Ronaldo starting on the bench. Might touch on that <laughs> a little bit later. While uh, Jose Mourinho had a good win in his first managerial game with Roma as they defeated Fiorentina 3-1 in the Italian Serie A. In the Scottish Premiership, Ange Postacoglu seems like he's uh, starting to get it right at Celtic That's as fine. they destroyed St Mirren 6-0, while Rangers defeated Ross County 4-2. In Ligue 1, some amazing scenes out of France in the game between Nice and Marseille. The game was abandoned due to an all-in brawl involving players, officials, and Nice ultras. It kicked off after Marseille player Dimitri Payet threw back a bottle that he'd been hit in the head with after a Nice fan had thrown it onto the ground. Jono, some unbelievable scenes um, in the French uh, game between Nice and Marseille. Yeah, just crazy I've, I've honestly never seen something like that as well where you actually look at the footage you don't know who is who you have as you said it's, it's not just players fans it's officials it's the security it's everybody getting in coaches it seems like and it was just just a giant mess in my eyes of, of just you know hopefully everybody is okay but to have that kind of violence go ahead in these games is, is just ridiculous and and like i said it's if you look at the footage you can't even tell who is who it's just everybody in this there's so many people on the field and it just seemed to you know it, it almost seemed like it was never ending as well for a couple of minutes there of just more and more people piling onto that field um just incredible scenes coming out of there honestly um and hopefully you know everybody essentially is safe and um and hopefully they really do take a look at this as well and, and see um everybody and hold people accountable um if if uh, there was punches thrones and things like that i hope everybody is held accountable for their actions yeah i'll be interested to see what sanctions uh may be handed down to uh either club and, and if any individual players um, may be sanctioned for their actions as well the Copa Libertadores, so South America's elite club competition, has entered its semi-final stage. So there'll be three Brazilian clubs and one club from Ecuador. It's Palmeiras versus Atlético Mineiro and Flamengo versus Barcelona SC. So uh, the Copa Libertadores down to the business end of the competition. A little bit of transfer news. The Harry Kane saga continues to drag on. 
Um, Manchester City are expected to go in one more time to try and get their man away from Tottenham, but I'll be interested to see if that hurricane saga, uh, where it finishes up at the end of the transfer window. While Sevilla, French defender Jules Conde, is expected to join Chelsea in the coming days after agreeing or apparently agreeing personal terms on a five-year deal. So I'm interested to see if that deal goes through. A little bit of NBA news. And the Boston Boston Celtics will be retiring Kevin Garnett's number five jersey. Garnett played six seasons for the Celtics and helped them win an NBA championship in 2008. He will have his jersey retired on March 13th. So some uh, uh, good news there for Kevin Garnett and obviously um, highlighting the significance he played in the or for the Boston Celtics in his time there. Boxing news. And uh, Manny Pacquiao, the 42-year-old Filipino, was defeated by Jordanes Yulgas, the Cuban, um, as he defended his WBA welterweight title after an unanimous unanimous decision win over Pacquiao. Pacquiao said he wasn't sure if this would be his last fight when asked post-fight, but um, looks like, John, it could be the end of a a boxing legend um, in Manny Pacquiao. Yeah, definitely. um, I mean, look, I wouldn't really say that this is um, one of his career highlights here. Boxing at this age, just looking like he's, he's taking hits left, right, and center. But his career... Essentially, what he's been able to achieve is just incredible. Um, so, you know what? I, I, in a sense, I kind of hope that this is his last um, fight here. I, I don't want to see him necessarily get in the ring and just essentially hurt himself at that point. Um, he's a great fighter, and I want to be remembered for being a great fighter, not for somebody who fights too long past their heyday and just kind of gets beat up in that sense. So definitely great, great fighter, great person off um, the ring, out, outside of the ring as well. Um, so it'd be great to see him kind of just hang it up and be honored in the ways that he should for what his career really was. Yeah, he's done great things for his country and, and obviously the sport of boxing. Rugby Union and the Rugby Championship Round 2 was played over the weekend. South Africa defeated Argentina 29 points to 10, while the Australia versus New Zealand game, which was scheduled to be played in Perth on the 28th this Saturday, has actually been postponed due to New Zealand players not uh, traveling to Perth due to the coronavirus outbreak. So we to see when that game will be rescheduled. Athletics news and Olympic gold medalist Elaine thompson Hera, the Jamaican runner, she ran the second fastest 100 time yeah. Eugene Diamond League with a time of 10.54. Only American Florence Griffith Joyner um, has a faster time, obviously the world record time of 10.49. So she's getting closer, Jono. While the race also signaled American Shah Kari Richardson's return after her mar- marijuana ban, which meant she missed the Olympics. So good to see her back in action. Also, a little bit of a reminder, the Paralympics uh, starts this week. Uh, the opening ceremony will be on August 24th. Um, so it'll be great to see some of the action out of the Paralympics in Japan, which, uh, as I said, starts this week. And a strong Australian team is always representing um, over in Japan. Now on to the Premier League, Jono. So we have round two this weekend. Um, always plenty of talking points out of the Premier League. What were your three main focus points you took out of uh, this weekend's action? Yeah, I mean, if you look at this weekend as well, it was just incredible scenes all around. Um, I think my <laughs> my first one is essentially, I, I, honestly, I, I was sold a bit, maybe too much on Manchester United. And it was honestly that we might see another up and down Manchester United, the inconsistencies essentially. Um, we've touched on it before as well, that they've been a bit inconsistent. But for me, I think that this game just kind of showed that, you know, it has, as much as a high that I kind of thought that they were on, um, some players still playing great, but overall as a squad, some definite inconsistencies in terms of performances from week one to week two. Um, and they got to sort that out early because, you know, you look at the top, that top four, you know, it's, are they going to give up many points? 
No. So you really got to sort that out early. So that was probably to start off my biggest kind of takeaway is just looking at that and, and kind of seeing that, you know what, maybe I, maybe I talked too soon there um, and, and jumped the gun. I agree, John. I think, I think uh, games against Southampton, especially the games you need to get three points out of um, and has, and we've talked about it before, but teams that sit in against United and don't give them that space, United have struggled against. Um, and I thought that was shown up against. I thought Solskjaer, again, tactically was found out again. Whether or not we you need to start with two defensive midfielders in a game such as that. Um, and then, unfortunately, Nemanja Matic now doesn't have the legs to get around yeah, the exactly. field like he used to for Chelsea. Um, and I still think United lack um, those real attacking fullbacks that the top clubs have, especially down our right with Juan Basaka, who's a great defender. Uh, but he's not the most naturally forward-thinking right back, um, which I think really um, hurts United in terms of their creativity up front. And if Bruno Fernandes is not scoring, in terms of the, where yep. are the goals going to come from, I think obviously great to see Mason Greenwell get on the uh, uh, score sheet again. And obviously I thought Paul Pogba had a good game. Um, but again, some of those familiar issues, are starting, uh, I guess, arose their head again. Um, in a game where United should be getting three points. Yeah, and that kind of goes hand-in-hand with my second point of in terms of United struggling, essentially, who is going to score if Fernandes isn't scoring? Where I think, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to highlight Liverpool because I'm not going to lie, I kind of wrote them off preseason here. And the ability to get Mane and now uh, Diego Yota as well on the scoring sheet, again, like I said last week, to get Firmino, to get Salah, to get these players on the score sheet early is huge. So it looks like that they're essentially you know, firing in all cylinders, essentially attacking. It's going to be, I still think, you know, it, you know, Van Dyke can perform at higher levels compared to what we've seen, but he's still getting back into it. Um, but overall, and same, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold, I'm, I'm hoping he continues to whip in those balls because, you know, last season we saw him drop into my, my a little bit of form. But overall, to be able to see that Liverpool attacking threats come back alive, I think it's great for the Premier League as well because it's just going to put so much pressure on some of those other defenses. So in my eyes, being able to see them, you know, and those players, like I said, Mane, Firmino, Salah, Diego Yota, all of them now starting to get some early season goals. I think that's huge for Liverpool to kind of get off to an early start. All right, great, John. I thought Liverpool looked really impressive um, and a massive game coming up this weekend against Chelsea, which should be an absolute cracker at Anfield. Yeah, huge, huge, huge. And then my other point I said essentially would be, you know, you gotta, you kind of just got to look at Tottenham for even what they're doing kind of off the field in my eyes. The drama of what it is, is just what's going on with Harry Kane, bringing him on, bringing him off kind of thing. You know, he had a bit of an appearance, um, came off the bench. So does that mean that he's actually going to stay? What does that also mean for Tottenham as well um, if he's staying? Because I think, you know, if you look at Tottenham as well, I think that they actually play well. They, they've played well, let's say this game and a half without him being up there. Um, and it's, Essentially, it almost needs to be that time for them to be, okay, are we going to find that new identity, not necessarily relying on him? Because it needs to be something that either he's going to stay for the whole season or he's going to go now. Because I think the worst thing that's going to happen is, as we saw, he came on. And then, okay, let's say he goes into, let's even say that winter transfer window or something, and then he leaves. That's then going to create a huge shift in the squad in terms of their identity. Because right now, you know, you look at that squad and, and essentially, you know, Harry Kane is the face of that squad. So what this weekend showed is, you know, him coming back on, it's just that sense of uncertainty as well, because if he's going to leave, they need to really figure out their identity 
after having, you know, post Harry Kane being on that team. So I think it's really just going to be an interesting to watch. So my biggest takeaway essentially was, was just watching what's going to happen that off the field more than on the field. Um, but I think I've been very impressed with in terms of what they've been able to produce without him being on the field. I think the other player that's impressed early on is Delhi Alley. Yep. Um, definitely. Obviously last couple of years has been very rough for Delhi Alley, but he looks stronger this year. He looks like he's had a good off season. Um, and he looks like his confidence is returning. So if, That'll be a huge asset to Tottenham Hotspur if Deli Ali can return anywhere near the form um, yep. he was showing when he was in the World Cup teams uh, with England. So it'd be interesting to see if that form continues. I guess my three main focus points out of the weekend was number one, John. I, I agree with you, Liverpool, but I guess the return to a capacity Anfield. Um, yep. Even though I'm a Manchester United fan, just hearing um, "You'll never walk alone" just ha- puts chills on the back of your neck. Um, and I think this could really have an impact on whether Liverpool get close to, obviously, for that title challenge. I think Anfield is such a special place and it really does, obviously, we say it over and over, but it does play that 12th man for Liverpool when they're there. Definitely. It's a different beast playing Liverpool at a, a full capacity airfield. And I've been really impressed um, with their early season form. The, the front three look really sharp and they obviously look a lot more solid in defence with... Uh, with Van Dyke and, and Sismacast, the Greek on the left, has been <laughs> playing really well as well. He had a great game against Burnley. So um, obviously a little bit depth, obviously, with Andy Robertson out um, as he picked up that, sustained that early season injury. Number two, it was just great to see Ellen Road and a full Ellen Road with Leeds United playing the football they play under Bielsa. It was a great game with them and Everton, a back to an end-to-end game, obviously, even Everton, obviously, some of the criticism of Benitez has been he plays negative football, but uh, it was a great game of football. And just to see Ellen Road rocking with 40,000 uh, fans of Leeds, I thought was just a great sight for the Premier League. And, and they've been missed. Uh, they've been yep. missed in the Premier yep. League, Leeds United. So I think that's just a great asset to the game. And, and I really look forward to see them playing um, at home during the year because just the football they plays, you can't help but, um, you can't well, help but love it. I think I think as well with Leeds, it's it's that team that everybody wants to watch as well, and you feel like you're a part of the club. You know, it, it feels as well that every single player you can tell are playing for each other. There's no egos or anything like that. I think we touched on this quite a bit as well in the Euros that you know when you play as a team, you play as a unit. You know, you're that much better. And in this case as well, when you have these fans coming back in as well and just giving you that extra motivation to be part of that family, like you said as well, Anfield, that extra motivation and and. That, that could be the difference this season is, you know, a lot of teams last year that, you know, they didn't have those fans that it really could be that difference that gives them that extra edge. It's going to give Liverpool that extra push to maybe not only be top four, to be top one or two, or, you know, for Leeds as well to be creeping up, possibly even top four, that Europa spot, whatever it is, the sky's the limit essentially with how, the, how both the teams are basically playing at this point in time. The other major point I took away from the weekend was Chelsea's depth is scarily yeah. good. <laughs> Mate, they made Arsenal look second rate, and obviously Arsenal are pretty second rate at this moment. But man, that Chelsea bench to have Nicola Kante, Ziach, Werner yep. on your bench. Most of those guys will be starting in most clubs around the world, and the impact Lukaku had, um, and he's only going to get better. Just the strength um, and the way he was able to hold the ball up and bring those other creative players into the game, yep. I thought can only be an asset to uh, that Chelsea football club because he. He bullied those Arsenal centre-backs. They could not handle his strength, power, 
Um, but just his game awareness, I think that's got a whole lot better. Obviously, his time at Inter Milan under Antonio Conte's, you can see the improvements in his game. It's not just about his physical strength. He's always had that, but his game awareness and his his cleverness and his his subtleness, his touch has got so much better. But that Chelsea depth, I think it's right up there with Manchester City in regards to the best squads in the Premier League. Um, and obviously, depending if City do get Harry Kane, um, but Chelsea, they are they're they're there for a title push. Um, I think and as also well. a European push. Yeah, I think as well. When you when you look at Chelsea and comparing it as well to Man City and its depth, you know, you look at Man City has a lot of established players and a couple of those, you know, bright young stars. Whereas Chelsea, it's kind of almost the opposite. They have those few kind of established players there. And then a lot of these youngsters that are in there, you know, you, you, you could say that, you know, a lot of them might be playing for quite a while or something like that because they've started their career quite young. But in a sense, they're still learning and they're still getting better. You know, you look at Mason Mount, Reese James, even Pulisic as well, very, very young still and still has a lot to go. And then, you you know, as you said, you bring in the experience of what Lukaku has now, uh, Conte even in the midfield, Jorginho even at times as Rudiger well. at the back. Exactly. You have, you have that sprinkle of experience everywhere with these young talent that you don't know ex- exactly where their potential is. Where I think in, this, in a sense, when you look at Man City, a lot of those players as well, you know how good they are pretty much every week. They're consistently good. But with these youngsters as well, is they're just starting to reach their potential. So it can just keep going higher and higher and higher. And that's even what's scary as well about Chelsea is we just don't know their potential. Whereas I feel like Man City, you're expecting the top there. Whereas Chelsea, you don't know. They could be pushing that and just keep going. So I'm, I'm very, very excited to see um, what Chelsea has in store for the whole season and, and how they fare in all across all competitions. I guess the other big thing for them was be how Tuchel keeps that squad happy because you've got so many good players who yeah. will want to be starting. So obviously being able to uh, rotate that squad where you're keeping the whole squad happy, which is what Guardiola seems to be able to do with yeah. his galaxy of stars at Manchester City. Um, but Chelsea are looking impressive and um, I think they'll be right up there uh, come the business end of the Premier League. Another big story in Australian sport John, over the week has been uh, cricket and Justin Langer's um, position as the head coach of the Australian cricket team. Um, an article in the Sydney Morning Herald surfaced over the week uh, stating that some of the senior players had approached Cricket Australia um, executives to discuss Langer's position as head coach. Apparently, some of the tension has, has come around, obviously, the Amazon documentary was just released last year called The Test, uh, where Langer negotiated with Amazon separately from some of those senior players, um, as well as, obviously, some of the results, which haven't been, especially in the T20 and one day, um, internationals, which haven't been positive of late. Jono, um, former Australian batsman Matthew Hayden, former teammate of Justin Ling, has come out and criticised um, the way the players have gone about this or supposedly gone about this in regards to putting the pressure on Justin Langer. I guess what it has brought up is the, is the question of player power and how that um, works within modern sporting organisations, not just within cricket, but with all, especially team games and team organisations. What do you think of um, player power these days and, and how much of a part do you think it plays in um, clubs and, and organisations parting ways with, with head coaches? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting one because you see it across pretty much all sports nowadays. Um, some sports more, you know, it's more prevalent than others in terms of, you know, player power isn't even just a thing in terms of what coach you bring in. 
the way you play things like that but it's even in terms we see it in a lot of outside of international game but even like transfers things like that where where the players can even dictate who comes in where they go you know they they're they're the directors there um so i think that it's it's essentially it's it's been taken to another level in that sense if you compare it probably to you know 20 30 years ago um where you know, coaches are essentially key to building things and, and they are the decision makers. They're the driving forces where I think it, it is now a lot more where the players do have the say. And in particular, you know, in this instance as well is it just seems like as well that each time when the going gets tough, you know, they, they turn to the coaches and the coach is the first ones to go. And a lot of times, as you said, it could be those couple players that feel like, oh, well, I'm not the issue. It's clearly someone else. And it's almost like they're pointing fingers and it's almost like the name game here. Um, and it's unfortunate when you kind of see that, but I definitely think that as we've grown across all sports, um, the players, the players are seeming to have more and more power. And I don't know as well that it could be, you know, a lot of these players are getting paid crazy amount of, of, of money as well. So in that sense, your investment as well is in the players. So your majority stake is in the players. So in a sense, it's almost like we've given the power to the players as well, because you're investing so much in the players in comparison to the rest of the staff. So We've allowed this to happen essentially where we're now saying, you know, coaches and the staff and everything is, is in that second tier where the players are the ones who's drawing it in. You know, everybody wants to go see the players. Everybody wants to go see that. They're not coming in to go see a coach or anything like that nowadays. Um, so we've definitely, I think, given a lot more power to the players in the recent years. And it just seems to keep on growing and growing across all sports, essentially, in my eyes. I mean, obviously, and that was the point Matthew Hayden was making in regards to the players taking responsibility for the results as well, not just mm. on Justin Lang, because you have to remember, Langer came in at a point where Australian cricket was pretty low after, the, obviously, the Darren Lehman and um, Sandgate scandal in, in South Africa. He came yep. in and, and really been credited to change that culture, which he has. Um, and it's interesting where you say that, obviously, the player power has become... Um, such an integral thing within an organization when you look at some of the most successful coaches um, across all sports look at phil jackson in the most successful with michael jordan yes michael jordan was the number one player in the nba but phil jackson still had control of that yeah, team and exactly. he made michael jordan be part of that team rather than just a star individual obviously utilizing his amazing skill set but within that team culture sir alex ferguson with his reign at Manchester United, he always said the player was never bigger than the club and he yep. was always the number one in that club. He To get rid of players such as David Beckham, Roy Keane, look at some of the players that have come through that club. No player was ever bigger than Manchester United. And I think modern day, I think you do still have some coaches such as Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp. There are some coaches, Bill Belichick um, yep. over in the, the Patriots. Patriots in the end. Yep. There are still some coaches, but it seems like for those coaches coming up through the ranks, um, it's getting harder and harder yep. to try and um, control a team of superstars. Whereas you said, it's the players and it's become such an entertainment business yep. sport, not across all sporting codes where, where people are expected or fans turn up expected to be entertained. Um, and if the coach is not delivering an organisation, it's easier for an organisation to get rid of a coach than to get rid of 20 players. Yeah. Um, the other aspect of this, I think, is, is also the, the role social media has in it and the way these sort of stories get out. Yeah. You look 20 years ago, um, and I heard Mark Taylor talking on uh, Sports Sunday on the Channel 9 on Sunday, um, saying that issues like this were dealt with internally 
and you'd have a face-to-face and it'd be dealt with internally rather than being leaked to the media yep. and obviously now drawn out. How do you think social media um, and what impact do you think that's had on, in regards to the way team dynamics um, are resolved and also where team dynamics may be falling apart and the way that those stories, I guess, are released to the media? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely in my eyes, especially in this situation as well, where, as you said, you know, it's not going as well as it has in recent years, or it's not where essentially it should be. So the going is tough right now. And that's as well where, you know, you look through stories or things like that, or things that get leaked in social media, or even just comments that are going around, you flick through all the good. Oh, great, great, great. But then when you see that one bad or something like that, that's when you pull that out. And that's when no matter what, as much as you want to forget it, it's still lingering there. So in terms of locker room dynamics and things like that, you know, then everything gets, once you put it in a public eye as well, everything gets looked at. So the way that you say something, you know, can get interpreted in one way and then a story's out there. And then you're questioning that as well in the back of your mind because you saw some story about it. So I think that what social media has done is it's made it where these issues are just that much harder to deal with. And as you said, it used to be, you know, you sit down, you deal with things behind closed doors, whether that's, you know, you deal with it right away and it takes a day overnight or months, whatever it is it stays within those doors. It's not, it's not out there for the world to make judgments on. Whereas now it's out there. Everybody knows about it. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's talking about it in those different ways. And like I said, as soon as you hear a story, let's say as well, if it's personally about you or something like that as well, you'll remember that then when you're talking to one of your teammates or the coaches that say, yeah, you're the one who leaked that story about me. Why, you know, why'd you do that? Even though it could be spun in a different way. You're always in thinking about that. So it just makes it that much harder to resolve these issues in-house because now everybody's a part of it. And for some reason, what social media does is it makes it where everybody feels entitled to be a part of it as well. So just, I think it just creates a whole nother dynamic and it just makes it that much harder to deal with issues. And this is a case in point as something that probably could have been dealt with internally, but now it's out there and now it's just going to be causing a whole slew of issues essentially with players, ex-players, um, you know, high, high personnel within the, within the cricket world, making their opinions and it'll be all different. And, and, and now how does it feel now, now? How do you deal with it? It's going to be dealt with in a spotlight instead of being dealt with behind closed doors. I mean, test captain, Australian test captain, Tim Payne's come out and said that uh, they are pulling behind Justin Langer. So it looks like he still does have support of, of some of those senior players within the squad. But the other interesting point that did come out of this was obviously the issue around the Amazon documentary, which was made, which was made with called the test between uh, filmed when Australia were playing England. What do you make of some of these, I guess, these documentaries around and going inside some of these elite sporting organisations? We've obviously seen, seen the football ones with Tottenham Hotspur and Manchester City, um, the NFL ones, hard knocks over in the States. What do you make of some of these documentaries? John? Obviously great for the fans to get an insight yeah. into the way these elite organisations work. But as being part of that elite organization, do you think these documentaries are good for an organization or do you think they uh, need to be careful in terms of how much is shown and um, and how things are shown? Yeah, I mean, I would say in terms of like, well, me personally, I do really enjoy them because as you said, from, from a, a fan point of view, you get this inside view of what's actually happening across all these different sports that they've been able to do this for. I think it's great and you, you know, you look at some of them, they're winning all the time and it's great. And you get to see that morale or other ones, they're not as successful. So you get to see a little bit of the highs and lows. 
Um, so from a viewership standpoint, this is great. You get to see the ins and outs of everything. But from a, when that's your actual team getting filmed, I mean, it, it has to be hard because you really have to monitor almost what does get said because we've seen this as well where there's you know, certain things that you might just look at as, oh, yeah, I just kind of made this comment while being interviewed or whatever it is. And then it creates problems once it's released and you didn't even recognize it at that time. Um, so for as much as, as great as it can be, it could be very difficult as well, I'm sure, for those players, coaching staff, um, even as well, you know, you look at from the Tottenham point of view as well, showing all the way to the top there in terms of their leadership and who makes decisions as well, getting an inside scoop of that. Was it the best to, to show, you know, all those personalities and things like that? Or, or did that have a negative impact as well in terms of viewing of, of Tottenham? Um, but I think, look, it's almost like that saying that, you know, any press is good press, whether that's bad or good in that sense as well. So in a sense as well, it gets people talking about that sport, gets people talking about that particular team. So in the end, it you know does the job, but but overall it must be very difficult as a player, coach, or a management um, when that's going on. Because think about having cameras at all times and some of those conversations that should be behind behind closed doors, but there's a camera sitting right behind you. It must be very difficult for all of them. Yeah, I can't imagine Sir Alex Ferguson would have led uh, cameras inside his Manchester <laughs> United dressing room in his reign. But um, I guess it's modern times. And we'd be interested to see what happens with the Justin Langer saga. Hopefully, for my opinion, I hope he continues as the Australian coach because I think he's done a really good job uh, with Australian cricket. And obviously, we've got a T20 uh, Cricket World Cup around the corner in October. Yep. Um, so hopefully, the Australians have a successful World Cup there. All right, Jono, as always, we'll end on a slightly lighter note. Five quick questions. I'm going to be Let's asking you this week. Ready to go? Let's do it. Let's go. I think I've already got this answer to the first question, but uh, after his most recent loss, should Manny Pacquiao call time on his legendary boxing career? Yeah, you know, this uh, This has to be the end. It probably should have been the end before this. Um, like I said, I'd really like for him to just officially say he's going out so everybody can essentially have a little um, parade montages, whatever it is to really honor his career and what it was. Um, I, I don't, I don't have any interest essentially in, in seeing him fight again. Um, and, and like I said, it should have been the end before this. So, so hopefully this was the last one for Manny Pacquiao. Yeah. He's had a fantastic boxing career and uh, he'll go down as one of the greats. Uh, number two, who will be the first two teams eliminated from the AFL final? So we've got Sydney versus GWS in one elimination final and the Western Bulldogs versus Essendon. Who will be getting knocked out in either of those elimination semifinals, Jono? Yeah, well, I think, like I said, for me, Bulldogs should have in, you know, been in that top four. I think they did well. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tip them over Essendon in there. Um, then that um, Sydney GWS game, I think it's, you know, it's, it's going to be all up there. I think, as we've said as well throughout the whole season, there's been some inconsistencies with, uh, with Sydney. So you just never know sometimes what team's going to come out there. I'm going to tip... To, to Sydney, so essentially GWS would be out. But um, I think that's going to be a close one to watch, especially it being on neutral grounds as well. Um, would be really interesting to keep an eye on. But I'll, I'll tip my hat there to the Bulldogs and Sydney. Yeah, should be a couple of great elimination finals there. With the latest transfer saga of Harry Kane, should the transfer window be shut once the season starts? This seems to be a conversation every single season. John, I know that all the leagues don't line up, which is one of the reasons the transfer yep. window is till the end of August. But do you think the transfer window needs to be shut uh, once the season starts? 
Yeah, you know, I, I I probably like that. I think because then you know exactly. Like I said, look look what I you know kind of mentioned with Tottenham is, is the identity crisis almost is what's going to happen. Um, it does add some drama as well that you can start your season with the best player and then all of a sudden he's gone. So it adds a little bit of drama there. But I think I would like to see where you're starting your season. You know exactly who's your squad, so you know who to bet on essentially, and, and you can kind of take it forward. But yeah, there is some complications with every league kind of starting different, but they all start within about two weeks of themselves. So maybe just shorten it a little bit. Uh, but I, I guess I would like to see it kind of close at the beginning of the season. It would be interesting to see that. I'm sure the media would hate uh, getting rid of transfer deadline day. Though. Yeah, that's, yeah. The, that's the day for them, isn't it? When the yeah. season starts. But uh, we'll see what happens. It may change in the future. All right, with two regular season rounds left in the NRL. Uh, which team is going to make eight spots? So we've currently got the Sharks, the Titans, and the Raiders all sitting on 20 points. The Sharks in the eight at the moment on point differential, uh, but then you've got the Titans and Raiders following in behind. Remembering the Raiders do have to play Melbourne in their last game of this regular season, but who do you think is going to make the eight, Jono, out of those three? Yeah, I mean, I'd actually really like to see the Raiders make it. Um, I think it'd be it'd be really fun, and as well as you know, look, they had a great season last year as well. So, um, so they realistically, in my eyes, from the beginning of the season, they should have been up there. Um, but again, against uh, against Melbourne, that's not going to be easy to kind of get that win. So, you know, you look at it overall, and you know, maybe I'm gonna maybe I'm gonna tip my hat. I'm gonna go a little bit of upset here. Let's go the Sharks making in that last spot there, just kind of gaining some ground there. A couple upsets happening on the other side, and the Sharks will make that last spot there. So just so the Sharks to hold on to eight spot. Yeah, and, let's uh, make it a little interesting. See how that goes. <laughs> and last question, John. We've got the Champions League around the corner. Obviously, the last qualifying round this week. Um, which would be a bigger failure? PSG not winning the Champions League or Manchester City not winning the Champions League? Which would be the biggest failure? Uh, uh, I mean, you'd probably say PSG, but when you look at it from a team perspective, they're just unbalanced. So I think that they're more susceptible to lose. So I'd almost have to say Man City would be the biggest failure because how many times are we going to see the same thing where they're just buying and buying and buying and it's not producing something and it just shows. So I'd almost say, you know, you think PSG is the obvious answer there. They really should win. But when you look at their whole squad, it's a little bit unbalanced. I think they're going to be susceptible to things. Whereas Man City has been, you know, trying year after year after year after year. And every single year they bring in these new players. And if they bring in Harry Kane and Jack Grealish and this huge blockbuster of a summer transfer window, they, they have to win it, basically, in my eyes. So um, I'd say that it's almost a bigger failure for Man City to win just by the slightest, just because the unbalance of PSG overall um, in terms of just how are they going to defend when you have such an attacking threat that only wants to attack, basically. But either one is yeah, essentially be. a failure. <laughs> I think both will go pretty close, but it'll be interesting. Another intriguing season of European football, as I said, the last week or this week, we'll find out the last teams to qualify for the Champions League group stage, which will kick off in September. But that brings to the end another episode of Behind the Lights with me, Seb. And me, Jono. As always, thank you for your support and good night. <laughs> <laughs>